All right, so we are in James still. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 3 today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. Um, and so it's, it's actually part of a larger section that goes all the way through chapter 4, verse 12. And, and, and it's this section where James is talking about how careless words lead to sinful dissent or division in the community of believers. Um, we're going to look at, at chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 next week. And that's going to talk about fighting among brothers and sisters in the church. Um, but today, James is, is focusing on this warning about the dangers of what comes out of our mouths and, and the need then to tame the tongue with godly wisdom. We're going to be covering a larger chunk of scripture today, um, so I'm not going to read it all through at the beginning. We'll work our way through it. Um, but James's letter, I don't know if you've, if you've caught on to this or not, but it's reflective of, of a lot of teachings of Jesus. He doesn't mention Jesus specifically a whole lot, but his, his letter is saturated with Christ and his teaching. And so um, I want to actually read from uh, something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, and then, um, and then I, I want to pray again. Uh, I just want to bathe this in prayer this morning. Um, but I want us to pay attention to what Jesus is saying and, and then listen for this in, in what James says, Okay. Uh, Luke 6, verse 43 through 45, Jesus says this, A good tree does not produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good, good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. And here's the, the main thing. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Lord, I pray this morning that my mouth would speak uh, from the overflow of my heart that is, um, is submitted to your word. I pray that, that uh, what we hear this morning is not earthly wisdom, but wisdom that comes from above. And that we seek uh, as people who have, um, have been uh, renewed in Christ that we would humbly receive the implanted word of God this morning as wisdom, as truth, and that we would uh, be eager to obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have you ever said something that you wish, maybe immediately or at least later, uh, that you could take back? Anybody? I see some heads shaking. Um, maybe even this morning, right? Uh, comes in a couple forms. Um, hurtful words that cause pain to others, or maybe like an incorrect statement or, or uh, you know, something you say too soon that, that causes pain to yourself. It's, it's embarrassing uh, either way, right? And, and, and um, not everybody raised their hands, but, but I think we're all, if we're all honest, we would be, uh, we would admit that we've all been careless with our words at one time or another, and perhaps on multiple occasions. And in fact, I'll make that a declarative statement because James makes that declarative statement this morning. Um, I'm confident in that. Sometimes it's out of a sense of, of needing to be right, right? We just can't, we just can't keep our mouth shut. We, we have to, we got to prove that person wrong. We got to write what, what is, has been said incorrectly. Sometimes we ignore and we interrupt just so that we can get our own point across. We're not actually listening to the other person. Um, sometimes we are telling the truth, but we're telling it in an unloving way. Sometimes we, we just want to give someone a piece of our mind, right? They, they deserve it. 
that this person, like you see themselves uh, or you see yourself as above them and you've got to put them in their place. Sometimes we don't open our mouths at all, but that ends up being just as dangerous. It's, it's unhealthy uh, and an unhelpful trend that we're seeing right now, um, especially in the world of the internet, right? Now it's not even so much as, as our verbal language, it's our, it's our electronic language, it's our electronic tongue that we have to watch and be careful of. We have the freedom to type whatever we want. It's this one-sided conversation. I can send a, a tweet out, I can post something on Facebook, I can take a picture and, and stick it on Instagram, I can do all of these things. I can block, I can delete comments from people that I don't like or disagree with. They might post it on there, but the next, I have the control because it's on my feed. I don't even have to read theirs on their feed. I can unfollow them. Uh, I can ignore them. So I don't have to read what they post on their own. And what we end up doing is, is passively saying whatever we want to an audience rather than carefully and actively engaging in a real conversation with a person. We love these sound bites. We love these, these, uh, these clever phrases and witty, witty uh, you know, 150 characters or less or whatever it is that we want to post out there and, and drop the mic and walk away. And then just watch the people, thumbs up, thumbs up, retweet, like, do all that. Share this. And it gets perpetuated like a wildfire. But we need to understand that words have consequences. Words have consequences, whether we say them or whether we write them. And in, here in chapter three, what's James doing? He's writing words to, um, uh, to, to these people who are reading them, and he's, he's writing words to teach them about the words that they say. He writes about the power of the tongue and the necessity to control it and our inability to do so. But he doesn't leave the reader without hope. He offers divine help for those who seek it. And so here's what, what we need to kind of wrap our minds around this morning. Because the tongue is more powerful than our ability to control it, we must humbly seek God's wisdom and power to tame it. James is going to kind of give us four, um, help, help us understand four things here, okay? Um, the first thing is that the tongue has great power. The tongue has great power. Look at verses 1 and 2 of James chapter 3. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. <clears throat> if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now remember James's audience here. These are Jewish Christians. They're scattered outside of, of, of Palestine, uh, uh, and they're, they're in social and, and spiritual conflict with one another in their local churches because many of them are adopting the ways of the world. They're living in this, in this worldly manner, especially in the area of uh, seeking wealth, okay? And, and neglecting those who are in poverty. So James gives them a warning here. He says, not many should become teachers, brothers and sisters. Remember, he's saying brothers and sisters. He's emphasizing a point here. Like, pay attention, listen up. Not many should become um, teachers. Now here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say none of you should become teachers. And he doesn't say those of you who are already are teachers shouldn't be that. That might be an implication, but what does he say here? Not many should become teachers. He's setting up something here. He's warning those that are ambitious to teach to think twice 
before pursuing it. Why? What does he say? Because teachers will receive a stricter judgment. We, he says in, in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. So, James, the brother of Jesus, an apostle, personalizes that. We all stumble in many ways. We will be, um, will be subject to greater judgment. We, as an apostle, as teachers, um, and, and, and he says here, or he, he includes himself in this, and here's why. The more you open your mouth, the more liable you are for what comes out of it. Teachers receive a stricter judgment because they have more opportunities to open their mouth. I'm saying a whole lot more words than you are right now, right? And I'm stumbling over them. Teachers receive a, a stricter judgment because they have more opportunities to open their mouths. But it's not just that. It's when they open their mouths, they're instructing others to in what they should think and what they should say and what they should do. And so the words of teachers land on ears and hearts of trusting listeners and carry great influence either for good or for evil. Words have consequences, especially for teachers, James is saying. Rabbis and, and teachers among uh, the Jews were highly respected, uh, especially in first century. Um, and, and, and so as, uh, as they went from Judaism to Christianity, as the gospel became uh, the main source of teaching uh, it, for these Jewish Christians, it's possible that some of James' readers, they were attracted to the prestige of being a rabbi, the prestige of being a teacher, um, but weren't really paying attention so much to actually what they were teaching. They just liked the idea of it. They liked the social status of it. Um, but, but the teachers were important as the early church grew, right? It was, it was uh, necessary to have teachers who were teaching sound doctrine. If you look at any of Paul's letters, he starts talking about the difference between what the Jews are saying and a works-based uh, reconciliation with God and what Christians are saying, what the new uh, way is it's it's life in Christ it's through the gospel it's not by works of our own that we could boast but by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone and so it's important Paul Paul says even to refute those who contradict it and, and to encourage those uh, who will receive it it's so important that the teachers of the church preach the truth about Jesus Christ But many who wanted to be teachers did so out of selfish ambition and, and gain rather than for the maturity of believers. Real godly teachers in scripture did it in a way that was not for themselves, but for others. Teachers here, those who had the ambition to teach, wanted to do it so that they could gain and take from others rather than give. And so James warns his readers to guard against selfish ambition, first by pointing to the burden of responsibility that teachers have, and then by pointing to the burden of sin that everyone has. Verse two, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. That's everyone. The word stumble there is, um, is synonymous with sin. Um, look at, if you remember from James 2.10, uh, from a couple weeks ago, he said, uh, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, 
is guilty of breaking it all. To stumble is to sin. Everyone stumbles. Everyone sins. We all sin in many ways. This is coming from the brother of Jesus, the Apostle James, the one who has the authority to teach and who teaches sound doctrine, and yet he lumps himself into this because he knows this is the truth of the nature of mankind. We all sin in many ways. It's a truth found throughout all scripture. No human being is without sin. And so it makes what James says next in verse two that much more striking. He says, if, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature and also able to control the whole body. That word mature, it, it carries this um, connotation of being perfect, being whole in every way, being pure. So James is transitioning here from the responsibility of teachers to the responsibility that we all have to control what comes out of our mouths. And then he personifies the tongue as a symbol of our speech. Look at verses three through five. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body. Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Now, these illustrations are all communicating one very important point. A small part has the power to control the entire body. The tongue is powerful. You put a small bit in a horse's mouth and you make it go wherever you want it to. Now, when he says ships, in my mind, I got to like fight because I'm thinking like cruise ship. Same principle, right? But he's talking about these big ships. He says they're driven by the wind, right? The, the driving force of these ships is the wind in the sails, but what directs the ship? The rudder. So all that force pushing into the sail of the, of the ship and this, this small part of the boat is what takes it wherever the pilot wants it to go. The tongue is like a bit. The tongue is like a rudder. It's a small part of the body, but it boasts great things. It controls the whole body. The tongue, what we say, is an expression of, of our will. It's an expression of what's inside of us. It reflects, our, our words reflect our character. What we say expresses what our hearts really want. Bits make horses obey us, right? Rudders make a ship go where we want. Don't miss that. He's not just talking about the rudder guiding the ship wherever it wants. No, it, it's at the whim of the pilot. The horse is at the whim of, of, of the guy that's riding it. What we say, what our tongues direct out of our mouths comes from our will inside, what's in our hearts. The tongues direct our whole being because it expresses the desires of our heart. The tongue has great power. And that's dangerous because the second point, the tongue is destructive and untamable. Look at that second half of verse five there. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, 
sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Right now in the U.S., there are 34 active wildfires and they have burned over 363,000 acres. Just right now, millions of acres have been burned by wildfires in the US, Australia, everywhere. It only takes a small uh, spark and, and the right conditions, right? You need the wind to spread it. You need the fuel to keep it burning, dry trees, dry grass, that kind of stuff. Now think about that for a second. Think about how we treat our online presence. You hit that small little enter key and you throw that spark out there and people perpetuate that. They give wind to it with their retweets and their shares and their likes. And then just more and more fuel piles onto that as more and more people engage in that with their own fire, right? James says the tongue is a fire that has the potential for catastrophic destruction. It's a world of unrighteousness, he says. It's the sum total. It's the very expression and symbol of evil in the world. It's placed among our members, he says. It's a, it's a part of the individual that stains the whole person uh, with sin and unrighteousness. So then how much more does that fire of corruption burn when individual members of the body of Christ spread gossip and slander or bicker and argue with one another or lie to each other or harbor bitterness and unforgiveness against each other? It's placed among our members. this world of unrighteousness. He says it sets the whole course of life on fire. Literally the cycle of existence. Sinful speech can damage every aspect of individual and community life. And it's done so from the beginning of human existence until it continuing on until now. The whole of human existence has been affected by this fire. Why? Because it is itself set on fire by hell. Sinful speech de destroys because it comes from Satan himself, who is what? The father of lies, the deceiver, the tempter, the accuser. Did God really say not to eat from the tree of knowledge? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Satan uses his words. to inflame our evil desires that lie within us, right? We learned about that, chapter one. To tempt us into that, into stoking that flame, giving birth to sin and let that pour out of our mouth. Our sinful speech makes us arsonists along with the arsonist. At the end of chapter 1, James says in verse 26 and 27, if anyone thinks that he is religious without controlling the tongue or his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God 
the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says the way to control the whole body and to keep ourselves unstained from the world of unrighteousness is to what? Control the tongue that stains the whole body. But here in verses 7 and 8, James points to the problem. We can't. No one can tame the tongue, he says. We're able to, listen, we, we, have, we have come to accomplish some amazing feats, right? We can tame any animal. All, all of creation. We can't tame our tiny little tongue. Nobody can. Every kind of animal, great and small, we can tame, but we're unable to tame the tongue. There is no one who does not stumble in many ways. There is no one who does not stumble in what he or she says. There is no one who has perfect control over himself or herself. And we can't tame the tongue because it's a restless evil. It's like trying to grab fire. You can't do it. You're going to burn your hands, right? It's wild. It's full of deadly poison like venomous fangs of a viper. We can't tame the tongue because the tongue reveals a double-minded heart. Look at verse 9. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out, of sweet, pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt water produce, uh, neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Double-mindedness is a major theme in James's letter, right? We're seeing this all over the place. He gives, he gives this picture here of talking out of both sides of your mouth and revealing the double-mindedness of your heart. You, we bless our Lord and Father on, on the one hand. And then we curse the image bearers of God on the other hand. And so by nature of doing that, we're actually cursing God himself. So we're praising him, but we're cursing him, both coming out of the same mouth. James says, blessing and cursing should not come out of the same mouth. My dear brothers and sisters, take note, pay attention. And he illustrates this in three ways. It's unnatural for a spring to pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening. It's unnatural for a fig tree to produce olives or a grapevine to produce figs. It's unnatural for a saltwater spring to yield fresh water. Does that sound familiar? A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil per person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. In the same way that these things that James, list, James listed are unnatural, it's unnatural for someone who has been supernaturally transformed by God's Spirit to say false and wicked and hurtful and deceitful and bitter things toward others. It's not reflective of the new nature that we've been given 
in Christ, it's reflective of that old nature that we've been called to put to death that just somehow kind of seems to keep holding on to our ankle, right? We have difficult time ridding ourselves completely of it. So the tongue is powerful. The tongue is dangerous. We can't tame it. Happy Father's Day. You're dismissed. What do we do? What do we do? We need to seek wisdom from above. Because that's the only thing that will tame the tongue. Look at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James talks about two kinds of wisdom here, just like last week when he talked about two kinds of faith. Only, just like we saw last week, one kind of faith isn't really faith because it's dead on arrival. One kind of wisdom here isn't really wisdom because it expresses death. Real wisdom in verse 13 and understanding will demonstrate itself just the same way faith demonstrates itself by what a person says and does in his words and in his works. A person that is truly wise and understanding will demonstrate that wisdom with that wisdom with words and with deeds that are reflective of the gentleness that comes from that wisdom. Verse 14, he gives them another warning here. If what's inside of you is bitter envy and selfish ambition, don't deny the truth with your pride. Don't make boasts with the tongue. Don't deny what's really going on inside you. Bitter envy is this angry yearning for what doesn't belong to you. Selfish ambition is, is rivalry. It's, it's a willingness to divide in order to gain personal power and prestige. Anyone who wants to teach with those things ruling their hearts is full of deadly poison, and they will only spew that out to those whom they teach. Pride tries to mask it as wisdom, but James says such wisdom does not come down from above. Where have we heard that language before? Chapter one, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, comes down from above from the Father of lights, who does not change. He's not double-minded. He does not change like shifting shadows and who gives wisdom generously, James 1, 5, and ungrudgingly to all who ask in faith without doubting. You see, the one who doubts is double-minded. It gives it away. The one who has bitter envy and selfish ambition in his heart is double-minded. Lacking in wisdom from above, but reveling in so-called wisdom from below. Wisdom that is earthly, James says. Wisdom that is unspiritual. Wisdom that is demonic in nature. It's wisdom that is an expression of the world of unrighteousness. 
that he just said a few verses earlier. It's, it's, it's a, an expression of the world of unrighteousness that, what did he say, stains the whole body and sets the course of life on fire and is uh, itself set on fire by hell. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. What ultimately gets revealed by bitter envy and selfish ambition. Verse 16, where these things are, you will find disorder and every evil practice, chaotic frenzy, a wildfire of every kind of sin. So what kind of wisdom do we need? Clearly not that one, right? We need wisdom from above. What does it look like? Let's read verse 17 again. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom that comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows, the wisdom that is good and perfect, the wisdom from above is first pure. That's the main thing right there. Everything else that he's going to say comes from that. It's an, out, it's an outpouring of this, this pureness, this matureness, this, this wholeness. It's first pure. And then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. What does that wisdom sound like? Who does that wisdom sound like? Jesus Christ, God's good and perfect gift in the flesh, came down from the Father, came from above. He never stumbled in what he said. He's the only one that actually uh, fits the description in verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, mature, also able to control the whole body. This is Jesus. He was mature. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was sinless. He was self-controlled in every way, in gentleness and in love. He was compliant to the will of the Father, and he offered himself up as the pure and spotless sacrifice for sinners who were stained from head to toe, the whole body covered in sin and guilt because of our rebellion against God unwavering in his mission and without pretense, Jesus died on the cross so that the Father who is full of mercy could reconcile us to himself and to one another in peace and love. And Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding, using his pure words on our behalf, praise God. on behalf of all those who depend on him, who depend on him for salvation and forgiveness of their sin, who with their mouths confess the finished work of Jesus rather than anything that they can do. Put no confidence or boast in anything within us. And to all who believe God has given them another good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father and the Son, his Holy Spirit, to dwell in them, to seal them as his own possession and to produce the fruit of righteousness in them in increasing measure until Christ returns. You see, what James is telling them to do, they can't do. It only reveals a need for someone who can. 
praise God that he's given us his son who fits the bill and who graciously, patiently gives himself to us and graciously, patiently, even though as believers who have been transformed into Christ, who have been justified from the penalty of our sin, Christ has taken all of that on our behalf and yet we keep sinning. We regret it. We get frustrated. Sometimes we're calloused and, and we don't care. But the spirit who lives in us and has given us this new nature in Christ continues to convict our heart. And listen, conviction is a kindness. It's a kindness from God that leads us to repentance, that leads us back to the one who has the wisdom that we need. Wisdom that you won't find for many other words other than the Lord's. So for us then, as people who are reading this, as people who are, are, are aware of, of who James is writing to and what the situation is, as, and praise God for, for us uh, being such a young church plant, I'm so grateful um, either that I'm completely ignorant to any uh, sense of, of rivalry and division going on here, or that there's a temperament of humility in this body. And that is not because of anything that any one of us ha has, has done. It's because of what Christ has done and is doing. This is Redeemer Community Church because he's our Redeemer. He's the one that has taken all of the junk, all of the, 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 the poison and the fire that we have spewed, He's quenched it with the gospel. And he's replanted it with his spirit. And he's producing his works in us and his words in us. As image bearers who have been renewed in the image of Christ through faith in him, then our speech ought to reflect the word of God. You read Colossians 3 this week. Paul tells that. You, you died with Christ. You were, you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things above, not earthly things. Therefore, put off the old self. Put on the new self. Don't lie to each other. Speak to one another in love. Bear with one another. Forgive each other just as Christ has forgiven you. This call to be reflective of Christ for the believer is something we need to pay attention to. God calls us to holiness, but he gives us everything we need for that, for life and godliness, Peter says, through every good and perfect gift that he's given to us from above, starting with his son and his word and his church and his spirit. Wisdom shows itself in a person's life through gentleness, through humility, through peace. A humble spirit is reflective of a transformed heart. So here's, here, here's what wisdom from above is, and here's how we can kind of ha have sort of a litmus test, okay? Now, I want to hesitate to say this is a checklist because we, what we would have is the tendency to go down and be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm rocking this, I'm doing this, and this is great, all this stuff. No, this is for us to test our hearts and to see what the Lord is doing and where we are quenching the Spirit.
We need the, the spirit to quench the sinful fire in us. We don't quench the spirit. We walk in step with the spirit. So wisdom from above is, is first of all, pure and blameless. Is there anything you've said or typed recently that cannot be described as pure and blameless? These things come from a pure heart, peace-loving. Have you been free from a quarrelsome attitude or, or have you provoked others to fight online or in person? Gentle. Are you thoughtful and respectful of other people's feelings? Or do you write them off because you disagree with them or think you're better than they are? Or do you thump them with the truth, cold and hard? Compliant. Are you willing to listen and obey others? Or do you have a nobody can tell me what to do attitude? Full of mercy. Do you freely extend an abundance of charity toward others? Or do you wait and watch carefully in order to trap them in what they say or do? Do you give them a leash? And call that charity? Good fruits. Is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Can you see it in your words and actions? Again, read Colossians 3 and then go read Galatians 5 this week. And Paul will give you this. The, 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 the sins of the flesh are obvious. Here are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what someone who is keeping in step with the Spirit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which we know is not self-control. It's submission to the Spirit. It's Spirit control in us. The last thing, unwavering and without pretense. Are you, are you fair? in what you say? Or do you hurl accusations without really grounding them in anything? Can you see it in your words and actions? Are you, are you sincere and honest? Or does your speech show evidence of favoritism, which is sin, James told us that, and deceit? I want you to know that I take my teaching role and preaching role here seriously. I want you to know that I have no wisdom to give you, save what God has given us. So if you hear me say things that don't line up with God's wisdom, you should reject it wholeheartedly. And be kind to me. I mean it. We're blind to our own blindness. Every one of us stumbles in, in every way. My desire is to preach the whole counsel of God, the wisdom of God, which is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. If I preach any other gospel apart from that, Paul says, I should be cursed. And you should not have me. But by God's grace, and through my dependency on him, I will strive to give you God's word. That's why we're going through the whole book of James. That's why we have been going through the whole book of, of Mark, and we'll pick that back up when we go through it. Anytime we get into scripture, anytime I open God's word and teach it or preach it to you, 
I want to tell you what it says and what it means from the person who wrote it to the people who read it. And then I want to help us understand how we can apply it to our lives. And here's the role that you can play. You can be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. It says that, that they were more noble than the Thessalonians even because they received the word with eagerness. So that means like, you don't have to be skeptical of me. You can receive the word with eagerness because guess what? It's not given in out of context of a relationship with one another or a unity that we uh, have with each other in the spirit through the bond of peace in Christ. So you can take and listen and, and, and give me that gift of trust and receive the, the words that I'm giving you with eagerness. But here's what they also did. It says that they examined the scriptures daily to see if what was said was true. Now, who were they talking about there? Who was giving them the word? Paul. If Paul doesn't get let off the hook for this, you should not let me off the hook for this. He tells Timothy to let them see your progress. You guys get a front row seat to my own um, sanctification to my own being made into the image of Christ, even as I uh, fulfill the calling that the Lord has called me to here, to point us all to Jesus through his word. I love you and I want you to know that. I want you to know that I take this seriously. The tongue has great power. The tongue is destructive and untamable. The tongue reveals a double-minded heart, and so the tongue must be tamed with wisdom from above. And we have that wisdom in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Corinthians, he is the power and wisdom of God. And so it wouldn't actually be teaching the whole counsel of God if we didn't center it on Jesus and his work. And so I never want us to leave here thinking we need to do better or add something that we cannot. I want us to leave here thinking, praise God for all that he's given me in Christ. I want us to leave here in the freedom of knowing that he's rescued us from ourselves and he will complete what he's begun in us. He's faithful to do it. And so we can actually walk in obedience with him, not out of guilt or obligation, but in freedom because Christ is alive and at work in us. James says, nobody can tame the tongue. Chances are you and I today will say some things we regret, even after listening to this message. But the good news is God's word is unchanging. It's unchained. It does what it will do in us. It never returns void to him. So even as we cast our words out, and sometimes they do damage or they're empty, God's word does, it, does its work. So the biggest thing you can do this week is go back and read James 3 again. And say, Lord, is this, is this reflective of my heart? 
And then go back and read James 1 and be reminded that the desires of your heart lead you astray. But you can ask God for wisdom and you can come to him without being double-minded. You can trust the Lord to give you what he said he will give you. You can humbly receive the implanted word. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We pray, God, that we would be people of your word rather than people of our words. And we know that we do need to be people of our word. We need to speak truth. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. But that's only reflective of the change that's taking place in our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would examine our hearts and help us to do the same. That you would help us to see where uh, we speak rashly, quickly, harshly, where we're unloving, where we're impatient, where we're bitter, where we're deceitful and untruthful where we're like the world. I pray that when we see those things in others, that in love we would be able to, uh, and in gentleness, come alongside each other, and bear those burdens together in, in gentleness and love, speaking the truth in love, helping each other remove those splinters in our eyes, while at the same time being aware of, of the plank in our own entrusting ourselves to Jesus and his work, his finished work on our behalf and the work that you continue to do through your spirit. We long for the day, Lord, that all this is finished. We long for the day that, that leads us into eternity where the only thing that will come out of our mouths forever and ever and ever is praise and honor and glory and power and wisdom and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.